0: right. Good morning. Good morning. So good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Man, I appreciate the faithfulness of people, uh, this team, this worship team, the mission, musicians and all of them just being faithful. And, uh, as a pastor that, that, uh, that gives me strength and encouragement. How many Bible knows the Bible says, fail not the assembling of yourselves together? Before it says that, it says considering one another. Sometimes we, we fail to consider what our absence might be doing to somebody. Huh? And uh, so it's just an encouragement today to, to just see you here. Amen. Why don't you just turn around, whatever, wave at a person, shake their hand, tell them welcome to Grace Point. We're glad to see them today. I'm going to let you be seated because I want to, instead of just read the verses and and go jump into it, I want to comment along the way because I'm going to read a few more verses maybe than I normally would. Colossians the book of Colossians uh, chapter 1, and we want to begin in verse 13. And I'm just simply uh, calling this reframing uh, our view. And uh, and what I'm talking about in that is not only how we view the world, but specifically how we view ourselves, how we view what's going on in our lives. And I guess you could take the natural illustration of a picture frame. And uh, how many knows you have a real beautiful picture, but put it in an ugly frame, and it kind of ruins the whole deal? And you can have a not-so-hot picture, but you put it in a beautiful, ornate uh, picture frame, and it really enhances it. Uh, primarily, uh, a picture frame has three really major uh, purposes. One is to enhance the picture. Number two is to make it easier to display it, to put it on display and it, for it to be seen. And third is to protect it. And, and you can use that kind of image in our reframing, our view, in other words, our thinking. Now, the Bible calls that changing your thinking. It causes and uses the word repent, right? And repent is the Greek word metanoia, which means to think differently. So you, you have to even think. Most of the church world don't even know what that word in the Bible means. Uh, when you say repentance or repent, and that word's used a lot, but you don't get people to repent by preaching on repentance. They will not repent if you preach on repentance. You get people to repent by preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what they do, the word repent means to change the way you think, and they begin to change the way they think first off and foremost about God, about who God is, how God is, and what God is. And if they can see God in the proper light and the true father that he really is, instead of the one that religion has made him out to be, then they start viewing themselves totally differently and then if they view themselves differently, then they start seeing their neighbor differently. How many knows this love God with all your heart? Love your neighbor as you love who? Yourself. See, the church is afraid to tell you that you're supposed to love yourself. Because they're so afraid of selfishness. But you, if you, the Bible says that how you feel about yourself is really how you treat everybody else. Now, you see some people, they'll just sabotage a relationship because they feel that. They, they just they, they conduct themselves in that way because they, they don't love themselves. That's why they're angry. They're angry when they get in the car before they even pull out from the house. They're already mad. But who they're really mad at is themselves. They're full of guilt, shame, condemnation, anger, frustration, and then they will react in that way to people that they don't even know. And, and, and so we have to reframe the way we think, and that begins with repentance, which means to, 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 that we think differently. Now, our, our thinking, if it changes, then our view of the world will change. In other words, we'll see things from a different perspective. And then if we see things differently, then guess what else will change? Our language will change. Now, it's hard enough to change our language when we talk about other people, but it's even more difficult to change the language when we speak concerning ourselves. That's why it's real popular in most of the religious churches to say that born-again Christians still confess that they're just a sinner, which is a lie. Well, I'll take a drink on that while y'all think about that one. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible ever call a born-again believer a sinner. It calls them a saint. Now, you're either a sinner or a saint. You may not look like a saint. You may not feel like a saint, but that's what the Bible, and all the, all the epistles, the one I just read out of, the book of Colossians, the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians, the book of 1 and 2 Thessalonica, and all these epistles that are written to the Ephesians and all these places, they're written and they're addressed to the saints, not to you sinners saved by grace. We know that you were a sinner, We know now, even after being born again, you still sin. You're just not good at it anymore. You don't enjoy it like you did. Right? And so one of the most profound areas of Scripture in the New Testament that talks about Jesus is found here in Colossians 1. And Paul's writing, and he says in verse 13, and he's talking about Christ, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has conveyed us, transported us into the kingdom, Now I love this phrase, into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's the only time you find that kind of phrase. But we've been placed into the kingdom of his son, Jesus of his love. Now that last song, you know, you're a good, good father. And every week, I don't really like, want to come across this, but on Facebook and, and sometimes other social media platforms, you'll see people that are catching hold of the message of God's grace and they try to post something about how good God is. And in fact, in the, in the past few days, I saw where somebody had posted something and, and basically what the post was about was that it was talking how foolish it is for someone to say that God gave them cancer. In other words, it was drawing a parallel that In other words, it was saying in the post that God doesn't give people cancer. And oh my God, did this person get piled on? Not by sinners writing, you know, posting things, comments, but by religious people. And they piled on him so hard that he eventually took it down. I just happened to notice he took it down. And uh, I even checked before I left to to come to church, and it's still down. he, he made it go away. <laughs> he, he deleted it. And, and, and here comes the religious out. And, and they were basically affirming that, you know, you got it wrong, dude, that God does sometimes. He doesn't give cancer, but it said, the guy, one guy wrote in and said, but God's al- God allowed it. He allowed it. Listen, if whether you commit the murder or you allow the murder, you're still guilty of a crime. Whether you commit the child abuse or you allow the child abuse, you are guilty of the crime of child abuse. So don't play them religious games that God didn't cause, you know, cause it, he didn't do it, but he allowed it in his wisdom. Any theology that teaches that God uses Satan or evil to to do his work is demonic and blasphemous. God is good. We've sung about it today, and he's good all the time. And, every, and it says, be not deceived, for every good gift comes from the Father. John uh, said that don't be deceived by this. It, it, it says, the thief cometh, not but to steal, kill, destroy. Comma, but I have come. A, a, a contrast that they might have what? Life. Does cancer give life or take life? It's not from God. I don't care if you got saved while you was laying there suffering. God didn't send it. It's just you're that hard-headed. You had to see the frailty of the body and the the temporalness of this physical life and, and you finally give it up for Jesus. But that don't mean God sent it. God's already sent the best thing he can do to get you saved and that was Jesus. God can't give you cancer because he don't have any. He can't give you what he don't have. He can only give you what he has. God don't put you in car wrecks. God don't break legs. God don't send tornadoes, hurricanes, floods. I don't care if your insurance policy says an act of God. It's not an act of God. It's an act of living in a world that has been turned over to Satan. Satan. The Bible never one time in the New Testament said God's in control of what goes on in this world. Not one time. It does say in your New Testament that we know that Satan is in control of this world. He's called the prince and the power of the air. He has an agenda to kill, steal, and destroy. Anything that's got to do with killing, stealing, and destroying is not from God. I don't care how many Bibles you stack on it or how religious you come. God don't take babies from people. Well, don't question God. He never makes a mistake because that wasn't God. God's not going to give you a baby and then take it from you six months later because he needs an angel. You will never be an angel, nor are any of your kin people angels who have died and went to heaven. They're not an angel, never will be. Knock it off. Well, they got their wings. They ain't getting no wings. You ain't getting no wings. Because you're never going to be an angel. An angel is a lower created being the bible says in the new testament paul said no you not that you're going to judge angels you we're actually going to set in judgment i don't understand how all that's going to go down but we're going to judge angels how well they do angels are ministering spirits the bible says sent by god to minister to us on our behalf and on behalf of the father we don't talk to them we don't pray to them we, we you know we don't we don't do all that uh, uh, religious silliness but god sends angels and we all have one and you each have one with you now And the Bible teaches that, and that's not weird. You call it, sometimes they call it the guardian angel, but the Bible says it's an angel who always beholds your face before the face of the Father. I don't see it. Well, it don't matter what you see it or not. I don't see TV, radio waves and all that just flying through this building, but they're in here. In other words, this atmosphere right here that we're in in this structure is filled with UHF waves, VHF waves, AM, FM, television signals, satellite signals. All these, all this this room's filled with all that. We don't see it. But if you've got a receiver, you can pick up on it. we got Wi-Fi in here. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't see it, but it, all you got to do is turn your phone. It'll come on. If I gave you the password, which I ain't. <laughs> There's a lot of things that we don't see. But yet we know the reality of it. Amen. And so I, I watched this and I watched this guy and I, and I watched another person coming on this post where the guy was saying, God doesn't give cancer. And, and they were they were saying, and they quoted him a scripture. They said, you know, the Bible says that, that that God causes rain to come on the just and the unjust. And that knucklehead was quoting that scripture as if that's a negative thing. Let me tell you something. If God don't cause the rain to come, we die. Rain is a good thing. But see, that person started out with the premises that rain is bad. And so he said even the, the, uh, the, the just even get some rain. In other words, so the just get some cancer. huh? See, you, 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 you've got to think right. You have to reframe the way you view things because if you don't really know this stuff, you, you're, going, you're going to have a real difficult time when you go through the complexity of living on this planet. And it made my heart go out to this guy because what he's saying is true, and I believe with all my heart, God don't get no cancer. What? And, and then he went on to say, you know, that this guy, you, you know, that when it's your time, you uh, you just gone. In other words, God clocks you out, you know. In other words, y'all, everybody's got a certain day that they, they're supposed to die. And it don't matter how they die, that's just God's will. Oh, yeah? So you believe that garbage. You know who decides how long you're going to live mainly? You do. You can kill yourself with a gun or a spoon and a fork. It takes longer with a spoon and a fork, but you can still do it. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. There's a lot of ways you can kill yourself. Some are faster, some are slower. See, that mess doesn't hold up. Say, we're not promised tomorrow. Yeah, we are. Sure Where would you hear that? We are promised tomorrow. Well, there's one that you know now that you didn't know when you came in. You are promised tomorrow. The Bible says, with long life shall I bless thee. And it is promise after promise. It says, you know, three score and ten. Minimum. Minimum. And by reason of strength. Go on beyond that. Yeah, you're promised tomorrow. You can't live with a fatalistic view. that God's got some big time clock. Let me ask you this. If that's true, if when you die, it's supposed to, that's somehow God's will, then why did Jesus ever raise anybody from the dead? Because if it was God's timing for them to die, if you got an appointed time to die, and, and then you die, and then here comes Jesus behind that, and he reverses that. That means that Jesus is working against the will of the Father. So again, I ask you, why did Jesus ever raise anybody from the dead? He did it to, No, he didn't do it to prove nothing. He never did any miracle to prove he was God. There's not one. He did it because he responded to the pain of the people that he was ministering to. And the reason he raised them from the dead is because it wasn't their time. To, it, it wasn't. It was satanic. It was demonic. He reversed that. Jesus didn't attend many funerals, but the ones he did did not conclude in the fashion they had been concluding in. I mean, he even stopped one funeral possession on the way to the burial site. Raised the boy from the dead, give him back to his mama. I don't know what the funeral home director did. I don't know if he got paid or not, but I mean, that's the deal. See how my mind works, it's it's amazing. I've spent the last decade hard trying to declare God's message of grace and goodness. Sometimes I'm going to preach to you something that I've been kind of off and on when I get a chance working on. But I don't know what I'm going to call it. In other words, if I was 21 years old and know what I know now, This is what I would want to know if I was 21. Because there's a lot of things that I know now that I didn't know when I was 21. The God that I know and worship and serve now is a different God than I served when I was 21. All the bad and all that happened in my life in my 20s, I thought God was behind it some way or another. Just suck it up and take it. There's so much that I didn't know that really hindered and delayed so many things that could have been more fruitful in my life had I known that really what the Bible has said all along, God's good. Colossians 1 and 13, Paul writes, he says, He has delivered from the power of darkness. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have, not will have, in whom we have redemption. What does that redemption look like? Where does it come from? Through His what? Blood. and what does that redemption look like the forgiveness of sins most of the church thinks that forgiveness is something God can do but the Bible teaches in the New Testament that forgiveness is something that God has done you have been forgiven this whole world's been forgiven Jesus did do what he came to do and he took away the sin of the world and he even took away the sin of sinners who have never talked to God called on God other than blaspheme his name yet they are forgiven and God is not angry with them They have not received his forgiveness nor enjoying the benefit of that forgiveness. But Jesus Christ was not playing. He said, it is finished. He took away the sin of the world. He did it. Now, all God's trying to get us to do now is to preach the gospel of the good news. And good news is not good news mixed with bad news. Good news is good news. And that's all I preach is good news because there's no bad news for me to preach to you. It's just grace, grace, goodness. And if you believe in that and put your faith in that, you will be born again, born from above. And your view will change and your worldview will change and how you view yourself and your life and all that will change. And, and, and God has forgiven us. That doesn't mean just because they've been forgiven. It's not being forgiven that makes you go to heaven. It's believing and putting your faith in Jesus and being born again that makes you go to heaven. Everybody's been forgiven. God's not angry. But yet, you listen to a lot of preachers and a lot of churches and a lot of theology, and they they present to you an angry God. And they even go to the blasphemous way to accuse God of these disasters, and God sent Katrina to New Orleans because there's strip clubs there, or some other foolishness. Or that God drowned a few people in Houston, Texas, just to get other people's attention. God's trying to get America. God ain't trying to get America's attention. I've told you over and over, God, don't drown people to, you know, to get your attention. That's what the Godfather does, not Father God. God is not a mafia God. God doesn't break a few legs to show you what's going to happen to you if you don't straighten up. If God wanted to kill you, you'd never see the bullet coming. God's not about killing. He's about life. But it is so sad and so heartbreaking and so frustrating to me that we, we are no further along down the road Particularly in our American Christianity theology of the goodness of God. They talk out at of at one side of their mouth and then they threaten you with the other side. Bullies with Bibles. Bullies with Bibles. The Bible said that we have this redemption and it's through His blood the forgiveness of sins. He is the image, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, All things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created through him and for him. He's talking about Jesus now. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. You have Christ, you have the fullness. Yet what do you have in the church? More, God, we just need more of you. You you ain't going to get no more. You're not going to get any more of Jesus than you got when you got born again. You're going to become aware of more. You're going to become aware of really what God did when you were born again and what God placed in your born-again spirit when he placed you in Christ and Christ in you. You've got to understand this. You know, anybody, oh, well, nobody's perfect. Well, you're going to have to be perfect to go to heaven. So how are you going to achieve that? I'm waiting. What good benevolent deed will you do that will make you perfect? And that's a 24-7 perfection, by the way. Because the Bible said the the Old Testament, those animal sacrifices could not make the offerer thereby perfect. God has always required and desired a perfect sacrifice. Is heaven perfect? It's not a hard question. Is heaven perfect? Is Jesus perfect? If any man be in Christ, he's new. So if God takes an imperfect thing and puts it in a perfect thing, it makes that thing imperfect. If imperfect people went to heaven, then heaven would be imperfect. Amen, Brother Dale. Amen. And what gets made perfect when you get born again is your spirit. Your spirit. You and I do not manifest that perfection, but in our spirit, we, as he is, so are we in this world. It says, and you... Verse 21, who were once alienated from and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has, past tense, reconciled. He has done it. In the body of his flesh through death. That's how he did it. To present, look at this, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. God, this is how God sees you. This is how God sees you. If you are born again, God sees you holy. Holy. You are, how holy are you? Just as holy as he is. Without holiness, no man shall see God. Jesus said, be ye holy even as I am holy. In other words, be as holy as I am. How are you going to achieve that? You can't. It's by faith in the grace of God and you receive the gift of that holiness. He said, this is how God sees. Now, listen, if you could see this, it's going to reframe how you see yourself. If you could really see, no matter what your performance, you, you are gifted, you are holy, you are blameless, and you are above any reproach in his sight. See, notice it's not in your sight, but in his sight. Now, if you would start seeing yourself like that on your worst day, you're still holy. You're still blameless, and you are above reproach in his sight. See how quiet it gets right here, Because we just cannot wrap our minds around a God that's that good. You may even after I sin, I'm still holy. Yes, you are. If you want a book to just burn your brain cells up, just read 1 John, 2 John, and the 3rd epistle of John. And it says if you've been born again, it's impossible for you to ever commit another sin says, You cannot sin because the seed of God remains in you and it's impossible for you to sin. And then, right there, your brain's like, Oh, I hurt so bad. It's talk, he's talking about your spirit. You have been sealed, you are, you are redeemed, you are saved. It says, He has reconciled us, verse 22, in the body of His flesh you're above reproach, you're holy, you're blameless, if indeed now, and then this if, some people try to take this verse and scare you with it, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now this is not some conditional thing that you have to do something, in other words, for this to work. What he's saying is that this is how God sees you. God sees you holy, he sees you blameless, and he sees you above reproach. But you won't enjoy the benefit of that if you don't continue to believe in the faith of God. If you don't put your faith in Him. The Bible over and over, Paul's always right, he and He says, continue in, in faith. Continue in the learning and the teaching of Jesus. Continue in kindness. Contin-, and he, he's always saying these things. Continue in it, <clears throat> Because, see, a lot of people know how to start out in grace. They just know how to finish in grace. <clears throat> the Galatian church started out in the spirit, but then Paul said, you guys are trying to finish this thing in the flesh. He said, You were born by the Spirit, and, and, but now somebody's come behind me and bewitched you guys, put voodoo on y'all, and try to convince y'all that now you got to go back and, and, and include circumcision of the flesh, and you got to come up with all these rules and regulations. It's the same thing as like us saying, Okay, now you've been born again, but you got to keep the Ten Commandments. Brother <coughs> Dale, you don't believe in t- keeping the Ten Commandments? No, I don't. <coughs> I know I don't. Not for righteousness' sake. For the Bible, oh, that's stone, huh? Christ is the end of the law, the Bible says to them that believe. He's the end of it. There ain't a person yet you ever known that's ever kept Ten Commandments. Ever. Never, ever, ever, never, ever has there been a human being on the planet except one to keep the Ten Commandments or all the commandments, and that was Jesus, and he fulfilled them. He didn't break a one. And all people running around fighting about the Ten Commandments and you want to stick it everywhere in this and that. I wouldn't give you a dime to keep the Ten Commandments in any courtroom or house or schoolhouse or outhouse. <clears throat> I wouldn't give you a dime to do that. I wouldn't donate a dollar to you. So, Brother Dale, we're trying to raise some money. We want to put the Ten Commandments in the courtroom. I, I'll give you some money take it off. See, and a lot of you don't understand what i mean talking about. God took the Ten Commandments, the covenant that he gave to Moses, and they put it in a box called the Ark of the Covenant, and then they sealed it with the mercy seat and applied the blood. And that box is symbolic of Jesus, and he put all that in Christ, and Christ fulfilled it, and he told them, don't you ever crack that lid and pull them out again. One time in the Bible, there were some people that got a hold of the Ark, and they opened the lid, and 30,000 died. That kind of says something to me about how God thinks about when you try to put people under something. He's trying to seal in something. In other words, I believe in not committing adultery. I believe in not murdering. But don't tell me you keep the Ten Commandments because the only one of those ten that says don't forget it is the one you always break. Did you do anything from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown? Did you move from your house? Did anybody in here move from your house, cook a meal, mow a yard, you know, what? He, did you do any kind of activity from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown? If you did, you broke one of the Ten Commandments. Because you did not keep the Sabbath. You did not keep the Sabbath. If you went and bought gas, you broke it. If you cooked a meal, you broke it. If you walked around the block, you broke it. And you broke one of the ten. And you broke one of the only ones of the ten. The only one out of all ten, he said, remember this one. Don't forget this one. And then you're gonna run around and tell me you keep you don't keep no ten commandments. Your grandma ain't never kept no ten commandments. You you ain't kept no ten commandments. The law is to make sin exceedingly sinful, and the law is meant to kill you and to make you shut up boasting in your holiness. And that's why Jesus was the greatest law preacher that ever has lived. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he preached the law, Sermon on the Mount, to people who were, who were under the law. Galatians says Jesus was born under the law to redeem those people that were under the law, and he preached the law better than anybody could ever preach the law. And and, and so they were sitting there in their pious religious attitude that they were keeping the commandments of God. And Jesus says, no, you're not. He said, you have heard it say... And they've preached in your church that thou shalt not commit adultery. And you think you have kept that because you hadn't actually physically lain with somebody. But I say unto you that if you've ever looked at another person and you have lusted after them in your heart, you have committed adultery. And that, you know what that did? That made everybody listen to the sermon in adultery. Jesus said, you've heard it preached that you should not hate anybody. Thou shalt not murder, in other words, not murder anyone. And they said, I hadn't murdered nobody. Jesus said, if you ever hated anybody, you're guilty as a murderer. What did that do? Made everybody listening to the sermon a murderer. And that's what the law is supposed to do to, to shut the mouth of those that boast. And say, just knock it off. Stop trying to save yourself. Don't come in here with your pedigree. Don't come in here with your rule obeying and all you. I've done this, not done. You know, the, the rich young ruler went to Jesus and he said, "Master, tell me what I must do that I might inherit eternal life." First off, he was mistaken because he thought you could do something to get it. All you got to do is believe something. So he's he's greatly influenced by the law. He's filled with himself. So Jesus always gave the law to them that were. Under the law. So Jesus says, okay, what must I do? He said, well, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not do this. And he gives him, you know, several of the commandments. And, and, and the guy says, you know, which he lied. But he said, all of those I have kept from my youth. Jesus said, well, that's good, but you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and, and, and turn and follow me. In other words, when you think you've kept the law, Jesus said, you ain't even begin to keep it because you don't even know what the law is. See, the law is perfect. The problem is not with the law. The problem is our weak flesh trying to keep it. He turned and went away sad because he had much wealth. He went away. See, that's what's going to happen to anybody that tries to impress God with your rule keeping. And the law is meant to slay us. The letter killeth, but the Spirit gives us life. And, and it says the law is to shut the mouth of those that boast. It's the purpose. Because they can't any of us boast that we've done anything worth saving. And it's to make you realize that the only hope that you and I have is a Savior. And that we throw our faith in His grace and goodness. And we trust Him and my righteousness is not my own, but it comes from him. And my holiness is not my, something I achieved, but it comes from him. And I've been placed in him. And God put me in Jesus so he could treat me like Jesus. That's the message of the good news of the gospel. Paul said, if indeed you continue in faith, grounded steadfast, you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Don't let nobody move you away from this hope. And he said, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, so many people today, including us believers, are experiencing frustration. And and, and I would just say a confusing disconnect a lot of times between the story that we find in Scripture and the story that's called our lives. I want to tell you something, man. Life is getting more complex and fragmented, and, and, and you, you, we know this, right? I mean, we, we feel it. I, I can't, you know, this week it's like every day is problems, problem, problem, problem. Nothing's easy anymore. Even stuff that they say is supposed to be easy, it ain't easy. It just, it's just not easy. I mean, you know, here use this app. It'll be, it don't work. Send us an email. It won't send. Do this. It won't, it don't, everything's complicated. It's so hard. Why can't things be easy? I thought we had all this stuff to save time. It's just, it's just ridiculous and it's so frustrating. And, 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 you know, my wife, a lot of times, and, and in what I do in, in the Medicare industry and trying to help me, and I call in and it's just frustrating. You call in producer help desk and they don't help. And I told one lady, and I, and I try to remember when I'm on the phone frustrated that I'm a Christian. But there's moments I feel like, well, you're you're probably out there in Iowa somewhere. I can just go off on you. You don't attend my church. <laughs> I didn't. But after three calls, I told, I said, listen, darling. I said, This is my third call. I'm just trying to help one of my clients. And all three of y'all have told me something different. I said, The woman I talked to before you told me that if my program didn't work, by the way, because y'all did an update, then. She said I could call back and y'all would just look up her information and give it to me. And now you telling me you can't because of HIPAA laws, Health Information Protection Act, and you can't give me the information, although I'm the agent that wrote her up in her Medicare, and y'all are making my life a living hell. <laughs> and I need y'all to decide what y'all going to tell us agents. Well, I'll try to help you. That's all I'm calling for. It's call producer help desk. <laughs> Trying to get some help up in here. Just help a brother out. <laughs> Why has life got to be like that, man? My wife, I love her so much. She's in real estate. And she's you know every, everything. With all of us, probably most of us, is laptops and computers and programs. And, and my wife, she gets so frustrated. <laughs> you know. And I tell her a lot of times, I said, man, if you didn't have me, you'd just be dead in the water. I'm I'm less like a computer genius to her, man. She's like, why is this not working? (laughs) Last night, I'm sitting in my chair trying to She brings here she comes with her laptop. (laughs) She said, it says I don't have no internet. Why don't I have no internet? I just had internet five minutes ago. I I said, I don't know. Let me look at it. I said, "See this button right here, Doc? Not you can actually hit this, and it'll just try to fix it for you." Okay, fix it, and it. Okay, baby, the internet's back on. Okay, give it to me. See, because she hates all that stuff; she can't stand it. She, she she just never has cared for all that. But four or five years ago, when she got her real estate license and began working in real estate, you got to do the computer thing. You got to do it. But it's like none of this stuff that they tell us is going to make our lives better is really making our lives better. Well, you can have these, don't you? Connect with people, you know, and you can. You got all these programs, and the, yeah. But see, what you got on here to connect with people that's far off is causing all my youngins to sit around when they're close to me, looking at this. So it's separating us. <laughs> I remember mean, one time my kids were coming over several years ago. I think it was Christmas or something. We put a basket out there on in the garage when they come in the door with a big sign. That says, all cell phones must be dropped here. Do you know there was not a cell phone put in that basket? <laughs> I got some rebellious kids. <laughs> and I love, the, I, I love technology. I'm, I'm a tech guy. I love it. But yet a lot of this stuff just is it's making our lives so complex, so fragmented. And, and, and the more complex life gets, the more we need Jesus to bring order into our lives. And, and the reality of Jesus is that he is, the, he, he, he is the, the, the centerpiece. And I just read that to you. He's the centerpiece of all history of humanity, of creation. Everything has been made uh, in him and through him and by him. And, and unless we put him into the equation, then, then we, we can't untangle this life. And the whole of your life is important for Jesus. In other words, Jesus uses us ambassadors for Christ to reach this world that needs to know Christ. And if we get caught up in all this stuff, man, we're going we're gonna to miss it. Think of it. If Jesus created everything, i mean, talking about the heavenly realm, the earth realm, if everything that Jesus made and he's the center of the universe and all those things and he existed before any of it existed and he's holding all of creation together, if Jesus is the head of the church, if all this stuff is true, then are we submitting to him to be that in every area of our lives? And see, the, the, the problem is life It's so complex, it's so uh, fragmented a lot of times, and and we don't realize it, but Christianity uh, has got to become relevant to our whole life. And I I, I told you, most Christians are functionally embracing a dualistic life. What, what, What do I mean by that? I mean that we are confessing Christians, but we are practicing atheists. In other words, we think God cares about Sunday only, but not about Monday morning for us. And, and it's just not true, guys. It, it's, it's, it's just not true. God, God's interested in, in, in Sunday, sure, but He's interested in Monday through Saturday. And, and He's interested in every aspect of your life, your marriage, your, your leisure time, I mean, everything, your finances. God, God has got to be brought into that fullness of your life. And, and, and what I mean by that, a lot of times I see Christians, and they, yeah, you're born again, yes. I mean, when you're going to have, yes. And, but yet they live pragmatically as if they don't have God through the week. They don't have Him incorporated in their decisions, in their marriage, in their, in what they're dealing with on their, their jobs, their vocation, and, and it's like they, they, they pragmatically function as if they don't have a God. They, they worry seemingly to me, my, just my opinion. But a, a vast number of believers worry more about the future than unbelievers. They they actually do. I've been around. I mean, I, I, I've been at this a while, and, and, and they they're concerned. They're more concerned about prices and economy. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be, and I'm not saying that those things don't have uh, influence over our lives. They do. And, and, and everything has a story. I mean, everything is beckoning. You know, you know. Now now it ain't just COVID. Now we got Delta. For long you're gonna have Eastern and American, whatever. I mean, it's just it's not gonna stop. I, I in my opinion, it's not gonna stop. It's not it's not gonna stop. It's not gonna stop. And all of these things that we are bombarded with. Now I had to make decisions years ago. I'm talking five plus or longer years ago. I said these are some things that I'm not gonna do. I don't listen to the news anymore. Off. And if I could delete the little tab on my Facebook page that says news at the bottom, I would delete that. I have searched; you can't do it. God, I don't even want to accidentally see none of you news. Now you can say That's it. I, if it's big enough, I'll find out. Don't worry about it. Some of y'all run, tell me. <laughs> y'all are my reporters. Y'all report to me. But I, I I don't. I'm not gonna get drugged down. I'm not going to get pulled into battles that are not mine. I'm, I'm not going to distract. You can be so worried about the future that you miss today. And I'm at the age now that I value my time on this planet. And I value my time with my family and them grandbabies. I mean, I, I don't want to be so stressed out and frustrated and my life so convoluted that I'm, I'm missing them little things with them guys. Because they're not going to be like that long. I'm going through a time. You know, for long, they're going to be teenagers and want their car and go on. and won't even be studying Poppy. But right now, Poppy is the king of the universe. Hallelujah. <laughs> My little granddaughter was sitting on the front row when we got, and I said, you, I had, leaned over after, I said, you going home with Poppy today? She said, I'll show sure him. Because she does that a lot of times. She goes home with me. And, and there's, there's a lot of work in that. Because there's going to be two more that's going to join us. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And I won't miss that, sitting around worrying about what we're going to do about this, and what if this, and and what about, you know, if I'm going to have enough money, and I'm going to be enough You you made it this far with God's help. You may not realize it, but God's God. But if you don't bring him into those areas of your life, you're just missing out. And I see Christians becoming more uh, segregated from, and what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about a race here, I'm talking about how they view their life, and it's like they just don't have a God through the week or something. I find myself a lot of times, I hear my granddaddy in me, and it's always been that way. I've had a few people, these older people, you know, that I'm helping with their Medicare and stuff, I've had them to, you know, comment, and and I just do it not out of some kind of religion. I'm not trying to. It's just it's just my, my granddaddy always one thing you know. And I picked up some sayings from him. When I, and my granddaddy was like my hero, man. And he died when I was like 13 years old, 14, just turning 14. Man, I missed him. To me, he he was just. I don't even want to get started. He's just the greatest guy on the planet, you know. And um, I really did. I've never I never heard him one time ever utter a bad thing out of his mouth about anybody. Never. And I was with him every moment that I could be with him. Whatever he was doing, I wanted to be right there helping him. Man, I love that guy. And boy, when he died, that was a big part of me. But I'd, I'd hear my granddad when I was a little boy, and, and people say, well, you know, Brooklyn, you're going to come and do, you know, whatever. He said, Lord willing, I'll be there tomorrow. Lord willing. So now I catch myself all the time I say that. You know, I set appointment with these people, and I say, you know, like last week, and I had an appointment, you know, uh, this past Friday, and I told a lady on Monday, I said, well, Lord willing, I'll meet you there in Madison, Florida, Friday morning at 11 o'clock, Lord willing. And I've had people say, what, what, why did you say that? I said, well, the Bible says don't boast about what you're going to do without, it, but you say, if God, you know, the New Testament says that God's willing. In other words, I, God's in my life. He's involved. Even though I'm going to be meeting with you about Medicare, God's in in this. He's involved. Lord willing, I will meet you at 11 o'clock because I told you I'd be there. Man, I love that little GPS on your phone. Because, man, I can time myself. I'm like Batman, man. I show up exactly. Man, I'm there. If I say I'm going to be here at 11, I'm there at 1059. And I'm riding. I'm checking that gauge. You know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing good. I'm, it says I'm gonna get there at 10:59. And sometimes I need to speed it up a little bit. I speed it up. I'm like one of them airliners, man. I'm coming in on my I'm scheduled appointment. That's cool. That's awesome. I love it. And, and, and a lot of times they'll comment. They say, "Man, you you right on time." Yeah, that's I am. Because I'm on time on this, and I'm gonna be on time on everything else. You ain't dealing with trash here. I'm gonna handle this. I got this. But I know God's involved. I talk to God all the time. I'm always talking to Him. He's a constant part of everything that I do. And I and I and I, I'm not boasting in myself. I'm just encouraging you to don't get dualistic in your view. Uh, I, I got I got to do this real quick, but it, and it's it's a pretty familiar story to most of us, but. But we got to let the Bible shape us in how we view this world to be able to deal with it without having to take pills, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Luke 24, Luke gives us the privilege of letting us listen in on a conversation between the resurrected Jesus and two of his followers and is called on that road to Emmaus. You remember it? Luke 24, verses 15, 16, and 17. I'm just going to read them three, and then we're going to talk about it just a minute, and then we'll close. Listen. Verse 15 of Luke 24 says, so it was, while they conversed and reasoned. Now, Jesus had been crucified. They have given up. They're walking a seven-mile journey away from Jerusalem. They, they, they're done for. Okay? But I love it. It says that Jesus himself drew near, and he went with them. Can I say to you that Jesus is drawn near to you and he's with you? But their eyes were restrained. I've heard preachers preach that that was God doing. God ain't restraining your vision. The reason Jesus drew near to them was to reveal himself to them. God's not trying to keep you from knowing him. He wrote a whole book called the Bible to get you to know him. So their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have had with one another as you walk and are sad? A lot of Christians are still walking this thing out, walking their Christian life, but they are sad. That describes so many of us. We are so stressed out. We're so anxious. We're so worried. We're so fearful. And yet, I'm a believer in Jesus. And I'm not questioning that you're not. I'm just saying there's some duplicity going on in how you view things that, that, that doesn't need to be there. And so the, instead of um, the reality of Jesus directing their lives and, and, and they believed what he said, man, these, these guys have got a lot going on. They're, they're confused because you've got the doctrine of the Pharisees and then you've got the doctrine of the Sadducees. These are all stories going on simultaneously that influence how they believed. And they put more confidence in those things and, and, and it, it just confused them. And, and so, you know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that's your two biggest religious, uh, uh, you know, things going on there, there in their life and, and they both believe totally different things. One of them believes in the resurrection, the other one doesn't believe in it. Well, which, who's got it right? Who's, who, who's right? And then not only that, they got the, all the Jewish other offshoots religion that's going on. They got the Greek understanding of life as it is and then they got the reality of the Roman rule ruling over them and, 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 and that's why they're downcast. They're they're afraid. They're disillusioned with life. And they're just walking away from Jerusalem and they're just giving up on it. And this is what you have. It's so great. Here you've got a very much alive Jesus who starts walking with them. There's just two of them. He didn't have to have 10,000 to come to the meeting. There's just two guys that are heartbroken, delusioned, confused. And, and they're walking this road and Jesus is face-to-face with these guys, yet they do not recognize him because they've got all these other competing, complexing voices and reality that's going on in their culture. And, 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 it's, and it has restrained their eyes from recognizing what's right in front of them. And, and let me tell you something. You and, I, you and I are no different than they are. And we struggle to see Jesus in the reality of our day-to-day lives. And imagine if we as believers struggle with this. Imagine what people that don't even know Christ are struggling with. No wonder they're taking their lives. No wonder that they're turning to everything else to just try to survive. And life, it has become something that they're trying to survive instead of something that they enjoy. There's all kinds of stories in our world, all kinds of voices science, technology, health. And we, I mean, we're just bombarded with it. And unfortunately, I hadn't been on Facebook. I, I guess probably I don't know three, four, five years now is you know is my little tenure. But I have noticed it grow increasingly negative. And it provides a platform for everybody to be a speaker. And I will tell you, some people ain't worthy to be speaking about nothing. They dumb as a rock. I mean, they are. They just and yet that will be the loudest voices just most profound voices and in and, and this country uh, you know the, the key word is division and Satan don't care what he uses to divide us he wants to divide husband from wives parents from children he wants to divide congregants from the church. He, 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 he wants to bring division from races and, and everything he can to do to divide us. Political agendas and political positions. And this divide, long as we, long as he's creating division, Satan's agenda is going forward. And, and the church is not immune to it. Jesus, what does he do when he talks to these guys? He takes them back to the scripture and he begins to explain to them how God was interacting and he begins with Genesis and and what does the Genesis begin with Genesis 1-1 in the beginning what and so if in the beginning God now if you don't begin with God you already you're already missing it but in the beginning what God created the heavens and the earth so God's the creator. He's your creator. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And, and we, we didn't know who the creator was until we got Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, but we knew there was one. In other words, if I come by and I see, uh, if I come by and I saw this watch sitting on that altar, and I, I didn't know it was going to be there, and I walked up and I saw that watch and I saw it standing there, you know, in the second hand ticking and and keeping time, I would know without anybody instructing me that there was a creator behind the creation of that watch because I saw detail and order and purpose. If I walk in the sidewalk and I come by and there's 25 Coke cans stacked up into a pyramid shape, I have enough sense to know somebody did that you want to run around and talk about creation and we crawled out of a tree and that would come out of the swamp. and I don't have near the faith to believe that. It takes all the faith that I can grab hold of to believe what the Bible is with your crazy mess. I, I, it's easier to believe that a you know a windstorm came through a junkyard and whirled stuff around and boom, there, uh, it appeared a 747, ready to fuel it up and ready to go. It's ridiculous. God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it with a purpose. And the earth was void and formless, and chaos was over the face of the deep. But the spirit of God brooded over all of that. What does that tell me about this God? It says he's a spirit. And he's a moving God. And he cares about chaos and he's just waiting for somebody to say something. So nobody said nothing because this is before somebody was here. So God said something. And the next verse, verse 3 said, and God said. So he's a speaking God. He's a talking God. And God said what? Let there be light. And light was. I love that. And it ain't got nothing to do with the sun. Because God didn't create the sun and the moon and stars until the fourth day. This is the first day. God don't need the sun to have light, because God is light. And God said, let there be light. And then God separated the light from the darkness. There are some things that we need to separate ourselves from. They might even be some people you need to separate yourself from. Come on now. But what Jesus did with these two guys that were so sad, so confused, Missing the very big deal. They didn't believe. Jesus told them on the third day I'm going to raise from the dead. They didn't get it, man. Because there's too many competing voices coming at them. And they were very confused. And Jesus was very concerned about these two guys. One but two, but he was concerned. And he drew near them and he revealed himself. And, and and he ate bread with them. And he took it and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave to them. And while they were there spending time with God, which is Jesus, the Bible says, listen, their their eyes were opened. Their hearts had been burning, and they realized. You know what they immediately did? They headed back to Jerusalem. <laughs> they got back on track. They got it back together, and they went back. And you know what they got to see there? They got to see people because when Jesus resurrected, the Bible says they were many of the saints that were resurrected. And if you'd have looked around good, you'd have got to see Abraham, Isaac. Jacob, and Joseph requested that he be buried in Jerusalem when they brought him out of Egypt, his bones, because he didn't want to miss Resurrection Sunday that happened on that Saturday night before midnight. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about. He was resurrected. And, and all these saints are seen walking the streets of truth. The Bible says that. It's in there. You have to live your life because one thing that we can all probably I guess, agree on, you're not getting out of here alive. And I don't mean that morbid and, and, and fatalistic. But you, you're not going you to show me somebody just live, you know, you're not going to outlive it. And, and that's not a scary thing, but that Bible tells me what's going to happen in the end and what it's going to look like. God said, I've taken the sting of death away, and that was sin. So you don't have that, so it won't hurt. And in fact, the only reason I rejoice over that, because the Bible said the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. God sees it as an image because death did not come in until sin came in. Sin came, death entered in through sin. Is that what it says? But you got to understand that every area of our life, so this is why it's so important to be in the house of God. And, 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 it's, and it's important to, to hear the word of God and for us to constantly go back to the word of God. But since, you know, in my lifetime, and I don't mean this in a condemning way, but when I, when I was a young kid and even a, a young pastor, we had Sunday school at ten. We had church at eleven. We come back at five o'clock and did something an hour before. Different churches called it different things. RAs, Das, whatever, uh, Tas, whatever was. I don't know what all the little symbolisms we had. But we had this. We had little instruction in Bible being taught there. Then the service was at six, and then we'd come back on Tuesday night for prayer, intercessory prayer. And then we come back Wednesday night for Bible study, and we did that. And then, and then we, we, and so we had all this, and we had all this Word of God flowing to us and flowing to our families and, and spending time together and in the Word of God and all this. And, 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 and the older I've got, the less that is. You, 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 do, that, you know, right here in our, you know, just a, f- a couple years ago, I had, it's, it's probably two years old, the data that I read. I was having lunch with one, one of the pastors, one of the pastors of the largest church in this town. And he said, you know, the average attendance, and he had this little document, is 1.7 Sundays a month. The average person that says, I'm a Christian, and I love God, and this is my church, they attend at 1.7. I don't know how they figured out that point. You know what I'm saying, 0.7, but that ain't like 70% of them came <laughs> that Sunday, but 1.7. In other words, we're not, we're not getting near as much of it, and we don't see the need for as much of it. And we wonder why our lives are so complex, convoluted. And we live in this duplicity of, well, yes, Sunday's important. And some people are not even seeing Sunday's important anymore. Now, i got a blog I looked at yesterday. I wrote it six months ago. And and, and the title of it is Bible Verses You Cannot Obey Unless You're Actively Connected with a Church. I've been too chicken to post it, to be honest with you. Because I hate that beating I'm going to take when it goes out. But it's all true. I got a little disclaimer right at the start of it. So this is my disclaimer. I'm not writing this to beat up on anybody, to make you feel guilty, anything. I'm just saying that you're missing out on a great joy for the family of God. And I realize a lot of churches have not honed in on the family word, but we're a family. Just like your natural family ain't perfect, this family here called the body of Christ in the earth is not perfect as far as behavior. But it's filled with fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers that love God and love you. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. My youngest son went in the hospital uh, and uh, yesterday. Went in natural atrial fib. Friday, actually. Went in natural atrial fib, emergency. It's been 12 years since, you know, he's still my kid even though he's 32. You know, rushed to the emergency room. And I know they're always going to have to shock him to get him out of that. And, and I have had, I've been laying there with the atrial fib. You know, thank God, three years ago had open heart surgery, got that fixed, you know. So I know what he's facing, going through. His mama took off to Tifton where he was at. One of the first things I did is I text Johanna, Pastor Johanna. I said, you know, please have my elders praying. I, I believe in prayer. I, I'm not scared. I don't think God's not going to hear me. But I, I, they're my family. I want them to know. I wanted to take a moment to just pray with me. They've never let him come home the day of. He got to come home. They shocked him, yeah, they had to do that because the medicines never work on him. They shocked him, got him back into normal rhythm. He was, able to, he was able to bring him home. In fact, he got home and wanted to go get something to eat. I was shocked. So I took him to Chili's. We got something to eat you know and I'm I'm thankful for that some of y'all ask about Jill's mom and last summer.